2 Timothy 1.7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. How many of you believe that having a sound mind is a good thing? Amen. Uh, so we're starting this series uh, this week entitled Giants Must Fall because we care about how you are doing. We care about how you're doing spiritually, uh, physically, mentally. And, and you know, let's be honest, we're really good about dressing up the outside and kind of covering up what's going on the inside. Um, uh, we're, we're, we're good at making assumptions when we see somebody else like, oh, hey, they look good. I think they're probably great. I mean, you know, uh, love their jeans, love their stuff, love their hair, love their whatever. They must be doing good, right? We, we make so many judgments, assumptions about people just by the way they look on the outside. And we don't realize the turmoil and the difficulty and the stresses that are actually going in on, on the inside. Uh, According to a Kaiser Family Foundation study that came out in February of 2021, said four in ten adults report symptoms of anxiety or depressive order. 36% of people report sleeping disorders. 12% report an increase of alcohol or substance abuse. In 2019, 11.1% of homes reported anxiety or depressive order. In 2021, 41.1% of homes reported anxiety or depression. 40% of men in homes with children report symptoms of anxiety or depression. 49% of women in homes with children report symptoms of anxiety or depression. There's a lot of giants. Essential workers. 42% report symptoms of anxiety or depression. 42%. Essential workers. 22% seriously considered suicide in the last 30 days of this report. That means if you ran into an essential worker, you ran into 10 of them, most likely two of them had actually considered ending their life. This breaks my heart. Second leading cause of death for Americans between the ages of 10 and 34 is suicide. It's on the rise. Claims a life approximately every 12 minutes in our nation. I'm going to preach for about 36 minutes. In the time that I preached in 36 minutes, about three people in our nation would have taken their, their own life. Giants must fall. Giants must fall. The American Foundation for Suicide Prevention also reports that 25 million Americans currently suffer from depression. Back when we're all trying to navigate through this crazy... The pressures even on pastors and church leaders was immense. You know, if you're not open, you don't have any faith. If you are open, you don't care about people. I mean, it's like you, you couldn't win. 
And somebody would ask me, well, why, why are you guys open? I mean, I get, I get a call from like officials. Why are you guys open? And I'd say, because of these things right here, the Gospel is the only hope. Jesus is the only hope. It's really, he's the only answer. And it's never been more evident than what we've walked through and what we're walking through. Amen? Giants must fall. In the Old Testament, there's not only, it's not only the place where battles against giant, it's an ongoing battle today. Giants of fear, anxiety, insecurity, depression, loneliness. Giants take, take form and they battle your health. They battle your, your, your finances. They battle your relationships. Some of you this morning, you've got like a giant right smack in the middle of your family relational collateral damage going on. Amen? Giants that their sole purpose is to steal your joy and steal your peace. Mess with your head. Seriously. And it's like, all of us have something we're contending against. We look in the mirror and there's something we're contending against. We think thoughts are something we contend against. Exterior, interior, outside, inside. So the Bible records a battle with, between a young shepherd boy named uh, David and a, and a giant named Goliath. And there's some things that are going on in that battle, both in the, in the natural and the physical, and it's hard to separate the two. For example... Look at the emotion of fear and how it affects the physical body. Fear in its rightful place is healthy. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear is, is, is this thing that it's not like there isn't any, you know, I, I'm actually, um, there's an old saying that says there's old pilots and bold pilots, but there's no old bold pilots. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes fear will keep you safe and it's a natural thing, but then the enemy takes it and exploits it. Takes something just like, you know, like anger. It says, be angry and do not sin. Anger is something that actually we see where God is angry and where, but, but it's basically, uh, it's a motivation to take things that are out of order and make them into right order. But the enemy takes that and turns that into a giant. <laughs> Amen. Fear so somebody likes my preaching. <laughs> See, fear triggers a chemical response that puts us in a ready to fight or flight mode. But like so many things, the devil takes something and fashions a spiritual strategy that becomes a giant, and it becomes a spirit of fear. That giant must fall. Psalm 34:4, David wrote this: "I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from all my fears." I sought the Lord, another translation, and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. When I was thinking about the giant of fear, uh, what came to mind was that fear cultivates a type of soil that gives rise to a bunch of different varieties and expressions. Fear also begets. Now, for, for those of you that maybe weren't raised up in the church and you know aren't familiar with the Bible, but beget means really just like you know, like, I begat my son. I begat my other son. I didn't. My wife did. Well, I kind of did, but she did most of the heavy lifting. Right? So, basically what happens is that fear, you know, I was thinking about this, is this, this, this um, fear begets, it produces offspring. Fear actually produces like, 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 like fear babies. 
Like, remember when you got that gerbil or, your, or, or the hamster or the rabbit? And you, you thought you were getting one rabbit or two rabbits and you realized just a little while down the road, man, I got like a dozen rabbits. That's, that's what fear does. It just, it, it just gives rise to some things. And out of this unhealthy soil of, uh, of fear springs up anger, insecurity, doubt, suspicion. We all fall prey to this conspiracy thinking as we move. Uh, and we, we're, we're moved as believers and we're called to build. We're not called to be in survival mode. Which in turn hinders the expansion of the kingdom of God. And we're good at taking care of fear babies. We give them a place in our home to speak and we feed them and then we share, hey, I got some fear babies. You want me to share those fear babies with you? We don't, we don't recognize, but that's what we're doing. Now, now let me read this in, in 1 Samuel 17, 1. Now the Philistines were gathered had gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and they camped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes Now, Soko means to weave something together for protection. That's what that, that's the root word of that, of that meeting. And Judah was a tribe and part of the king of Israel, but Judah also meant praise. And so I'm looking at this thing and I'm going, man, that is just how the enemy operates. Here's the enemy represented by a giant named Goliath and they were parked in a place that belonged to Judah. See, that's what the giant of fear will do. There's no legitimate residency because God says, fear not for I am with you. The Lord says that I have not given you a spirit of fear, but yet it, that spirit of fear camps in places that should be places of security, should be places of praise, and the enemy comes in and puts his, and basically puts a big stomp and a big foot and, and abides in that. See, giants stand before you and your calling and you and your purpose. The enemy wants to set up camp and disrupt your praise and disrupt your service to God. The enemy wants to steal your joy. Giants intimidate. They intimidate. You ever been around an angry man? An angry man doesn't even have to be angry and he's intimidating because you recognize what could get off the porch. The Bible describes Goliath as being almost nine feet tall, massive armor. The shaft of his spear alone was immense. It was described as a beam guy shows up, you show up to fight a guy, and he's got a beam in one hand, man, and he's ready to just throw down. Giants also make a sound. The Bible records that Goliath taunted God's people. And this giant needed to fall. So you and I, we've got these giants in our lives that need to fall because they're inhabiting, they're inhabiting ground that, that doesn't belong to them. They don't have ac- uh, legal access. It belongs to you as a child of God. So we open this morning, uh, this, this word with 2 Timothy 1-7. Now I want to look at the broader context. You got, y'all with me? I'm going to give you some strategies. Just hang on. Kind of giving you the big picture first, but I want to give you some strategies. But it says in 2 Timothy 1, 5 through 7, Paul's talking to this young leader who I believe had been intimidated because of the, uh, the passage and the verbiage that he writes to him. He'd been intimidated to lead. And so Paul writes to him, he says, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois 
and your mother Eunice, I am persuaded, is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. This is the context of that passage. So Paul's writing to Timothy and, and reminding him, first of all, of his heritage. Because the enemy of fear will come in and make you forget about your heritage. And then second of all, he's reminding him of his spiritual gift that was given to him. The enemy wants to come in and basically uh, intimidate you into not operating in the things that God has actually called you to operate in. Well, I don't... <clears throat> I don't know about like praying for somebody because I might get rejected. I don't know about that, that, that word that I feel to encourage, exhort, and edify somebody because maybe they won't receive it or maybe I'll... Listen, nobody wants to come across like the Christian you know, weirdo. But yeah, we operate in spiritual realms. It's not natural, it's actually supernatural. And the enemy wants to come in and actually intimidate you from actually walking in supernatural ways. Now, I'm not saying that gives you a license to be all crazy. But we've got to walk in the way that we've, we've been called to. See, fear will be the strategy that causes you to draw back. Fear will cause you not to start that business Fear will cause you not to move forward in your education. Fear will cause you not to have healthy relationships. Fear begets rejection. Remember that word, beget? Fear begets rejection. Rejection is actually one of the offshoots of fear. I don't like to be rejected. Fear will cause you to not have healthy relationships. Fear comes against the way that you think. You don't think the same when you're looking through the giant of fear. Proverbs 23.7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Fear begets anger, and anger can be a type of defense. A lot of times when we see somebody struggling with anger, we don't realize this is actually an offshoot of fear and there's actually a it's, a, it's a defensive structure. I don't want nobody penetrating. You know, I, I, you know, I, I don't want get somebody getting so close to me and you basically put up a shield. Anxiety is fear refined and consistent. It's like there's something there and it's just a consistent thing that happens. And it, it begins to actually change some things. It puts your body physically in the continual fight or flight status. Anxiety will do that. And we have so many battles that we find and the battleground more than often is in our own mind, in our own thinking. Craig Rochelle wrote this. He said, your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Your life will always move in the direction of your strongest thinking. It's like, hmm, that's good, Pastor. So how am I thinking? Is my, is my thinking stinking? Do I have stinking thinking? I mean, it's important that we grasp a hold of this. See, you have a spiritual enemy that tries to uh, shape your thoughts one lie at a time. You're not enough. You'll probably fail again. Your parents don't like you. Your kids don't like you. They won't listen to me. 
I mean, it's amazing the onslaught that we walk through because there's this, there's this culture, this demonic culture that's attempting to shape the way that we think. And we get bombarded with it constantly. You keep making mistakes. You keep making mistakes. He keeps making mercy. You keep making mistakes. He keeps making grace. Come on. You know, I mean, really, we, this is amazing. The top four components of fear are fear of loss, fear of failure, fear of rejection, and fear of the unknown. Fear of the unknown. And it's time for some giants to fall. It's time for some giants to fall. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. I want you to get a picture of that. For like pulling down strongholds. Because the word stronghold has got its roots in like a house of thoughts. That's, you know, you, how many of you have ever built like a, a house of cards? You know, I tried. I'm, I'm horrible at it. But some people, they could build a whole house with cards. And what's it start? It starts with one card and second card and a supporting card. And then you start building it up, right? Right. And, that, and that's actually the, that's kind of the thought as we, we, we look at this, pulling down strongholds because it says in verse five, casting down arguments in every high thing. Every high thing, that's a spiritual, that's a spiritual understanding that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and then bringing every thought into captivity to the captivity, to the obedience of Christ. Man, I'm telling you what, we got to recognize that the thoughts of God towards us can't, I mean, they can't be counted. The psalmist wrote that if they could be counted, they'd be like the sand on the you know on every ocean it's crazy and i've said this before that if we could just understand the thoughts that god has for us we'd never suffer a single thought of rejection again cuz that's the heart of god towards you god's thoughts are towards you are good how many of you feel like it changes the atmosphere when you realize when you're you're walking in relationship with somebody and their thoughts towards you are good? It just changes something. It changes your kids. It changes your your, your family. Changes your relationship that you have maybe in your marriage in in so many different things. It changes the the workplace that you go on. If you're working for somebody, you realize that the boss really likes me. You show up with a little bit of joy. You show up with some expectation. But man, you get into a situation where some, you just know they're like mean mugging you and, and, and it started in their head. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, oh man, I don't even want to be here, right? So there's something that, that we have to understand is so powerful about the way that we think. And that's why this passage of Scripture is saying, cast down every argument, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of, uh, of Jesus. You know, that, that 
that works when you think even about yourself because the enemy would like to pick apart... How many of you ever stood in front of a mirror? And you just go, oh man. Seriously. You're thinking, you know, gosh, I'm working. I'm, I'm trying to be healthy. I'm trying to like... God, my hair's getting a little bit thinner up there. Or I thought I had better abs than that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I need me a trick mirror. I need one of them like mirrors that, you know, like, you know, right? But see, the enemy is so good about reminding you of what you lack. But God is so good about reminding you of who He is in you. It's just like, hey, don't listen to Him, man. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Right? Don't listen to him, man, because you know what? I thought about you before you were even in your mother's womb. I had plans and purposes for you. You got what it takes because I'm in you and you're in me. Amen? Then then you got to go, okay, I, need, I just need to not look in the mirror anymore. How many of you ever thought about like that? The, the Bible talks about the heavenly body that you're going to get. And I don't know if you've ever wondered about that, but I've wondered, hey, what? I wonder what it's going to look like. That could be awesome. I asked a, I asked a retired pastor who was in our congregation for a number of years one time. Uh, you know, he was talking about, you know, well, what's that heavenly body going to, how old's that heavenly body going to be? And he said, he said, you know, uh, you know, and he was, he said, I think it's probably going to be about between 30 and 33 because that's actually how old Jesus was when his ministry started. And I'm thinking, dude, that'd be awesome. I could still, dunk a basketball when I was 33. Sweet. Now I just think about it. I was watching some of the young guys play ball the other day, and I went out for team night, and uh, pretty cool, and I'm like, I think I could take them. For about like 30 seconds. And then, I, and then you know, I reality grounded me. Neuroscience shows that thoughts create a neurochemical change. Positive thoughts. Just think, and I'm not, I'm not into the, the feel-good positive thing, okay, but, I'm, but, but, but let me just like show you where science agrees with the Bible. Just for a minute. Just go there with me. Positive thoughts release a dopamine, and it's a chemical reward. It's that simple. It's like you just got a legal hit, y'all. Seriously, you just got like, boom, I just felt, oh, wow, man, somebody had somebody, bam, that was good. Wow, that was so good. Kind of reaching back in my old days. But think about this positive thinking actually changes the neurochemistry in your body. That's why you got to take these thoughts into captivity that are not coming from God. Because the enemy knows this. Dr. Caroline Leaf writes that thoughts not only change the chemistry of your mind, but now research shows that the brain is continually rewiring itself. They used to think that after adolescence, it was pretty well a done deal. And I'm so glad that I'm, I, I'm understanding this like, man, because I, I still need to be rewired. She also writes in the book, Switch on Your Brain, that prayer changes your brain. Now that's profound. 
makes me want to pray a lot more because I need some brain surgery at times. Prayer changes your brain. Why? Because there's some exchange, there's a supernatural exchange in communication when you're talking with God. Sometimes we just say, well, prayer's that just kind of religious term that they use. And it's not. It's so much more than that. For example, the Bible says, if any of you is sick, let him come forth. The elders of the church will come. It says, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Throughout the Bible, you see where prayer shaped things. Prayer changed nations. Prayer changed family. I mean, prayer changes stuff, and it actually changes your brain. Here's science that's agreeing with the Bible. Romans 12.2 speaks of being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ephesians chapter 5 speaks of how God is cleansing us and washing us with the water of the Word. There's something that just happens. This is, this is, this is how you, you're contending with giants as you have to get back to a place of being committed in, in your dialogue and your prayer and your fellowship with God and also the Word. Because there's something that's supernatural about it. It's just not some pastor saying, bro, you need to just pray more and you need to read the Word more. There's something there that will absolutely change and, and give you the strength and the transformation that you need to walk through. So there's giants that must fall and strategies that we must employ to make it happen. Here are a couple uh, takeaways to being a successful giant killer. How many of you want to be a giant killer? You know what's really cool? Robbie and I were talking about this. Uh, I preached on David and Goliath, and and she was uh, she was just saying, "Hey, you know something? I I just never really seen this, but up until the time of David, nobody actually had ever killed a giant. But after David had the courage to confront and kill the giant." then you find out that actually there was three or four or five more other guys that like, oh, hey, you can do it, I can do it. You saw, you saw giants starting to fall. Let me tell you, if you will be successful in and, and, and killing your giant, you will also be an inspiration to somebody killing their giant. It's not just about you. Sometimes you just got to hang out with giant killers if you want to kill some giants. Seriously. It's like, yeah, I've seen that kind before. This is how you approach him. Like David, he sees this nine-foot guy, Goliath, right? And he basically says, hey, number one, he took into captivity his thoughts. I mean, what he actually said, because as a man thinketh, so he is. He said, listen, he said, God is with me. And he said, I've already killed a lion. I've already killed the bear. I actually, I, 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 I took him and I grabbed him by the beard. And I just, you know, I mean, he's, and so it's like, man, that is nothing. I can do this because God's with me. So here's a couple takeaways to being a successful giant killer. First of all, clear identification. Clear identification. Okay, this is important. Like hunter safety, uh, gun safety, handling what is one of the cardinal rules. Identify your what? Target. you got to identify your target, man. It's not just spray and pray. Okay, I get really religious. I'll, I'll pray and then I'll spray. No, you don't do that. You identify your target. How do you identify your target? Get real with God. 
Just say, God, search me, oh God, know my heart. See if there be any anxious thoughts in me, any wicked in me. Help me to see what I need to see so that I can actually move forward and be successful. Once again, Craig Rochelle says this, you can't defeat what you can't define. You've got to be honest. You've got to be honest about the battles and the giants that are standing between you and what God has given you moving forward. And sometimes we just don't want to because you know what happens? That giant becomes really familiar. I don't know, Lord. I've been kind of... Or He lays down for a while. Gets quiet for a while. Oh, I think it's good. Then at the right time, He just springs back up. It's like jack in the box, man. Okay, I think I've dealt with this thing. And then boom, here it comes. Second takeaway, God did not give you a spirit of fear. So if He didn't give it to you, then man, I'm telling you what, it is actually lodged and taking up illegal residence. It ain't supposed to be that way. Wait a minute, God didn't give this to me. I'm not going to entertain this. So, so you automatically know it's a spiritual strategy against you. Don't Listen, don't allow fear to speak to you. That's a crazy thing. It, fear doesn't have the authority or the right. Jo- the Lord commanded Joshua. They're, they're moving in to the promised land, and there's this formidable fortress that's standing in their way. And I think it's worth mentioning that in his, in his directions to Joshua, that God told him, now I want, you to, I want you to march around this thing six, seven times. I want you to say a word. And the last time you march around, I want you to shout. To me, what that really speaks of is that you've got to stop dialoguing with the enemy. I mean, it's important that we understand that. How many of you just had people in your life where, okay, you know, boom, you get hit with like the fiery dart, criticism, the this or that, and you realize, man, I'm going to go to war right here. And you realize it just doesn't do you any good. Sometimes you just, you just got to just say, Lord, just, I can't shut their lips. You just do it. I'm just going to bless them, Lord. I just bless them. I know maybe they don't like what I'm doing, how I'm doing it, how I'm perceiving it. You know, how many of you just love it when you get just like criticism? Right? Can I, can I say this? Criticism is not a spiritual gift. But so many times in the body of Christ, man, that's what we see exercising. The gift of criticism. The gift of suspicion. Stop it. That's not God speaking. So, don't dialogue with the enemy. The, the third takeaway is secret places reveal winning strategy. Secret places reveal winning strategy. David didn't start out as a man trained for war in public. He started out by being trained in private. God will not release publicly what you don't cultivate privately. You want to be a giant killer I'm telling you what, you got to cultivate some stuff in private. You got to cultivate some stuff. Like, I mean, you see some of these guys that are so incredibly, like, I mean, look, look at a bodybuilder, you know, look at a, 
you know, I love boxing. I, I grew up and I just love boxing, man. I love the, the classics, you know. I liked, I like watching Sugar Ray Leonard and Hearns and Hagler and Ali and Foreman and all those guys. And, and my dad, my, my, my dad was a, was a, was a boxer in the, in the Air Force, and so I just, I just kind of drawn. But you know, those guys get up and you see them when they, they spent so much time in private working and cultivating. And that's the same thing that we do. If we need to, we need to overcome some spiritual opposition, you got to basically do it in private first. Psalm 91.1 says, He who dwells in the secret place, somebody say secret place, Secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Oh man, this is so good. I'm dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. And that means when I come out, I am abiding under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, the enemy, the giant may see me, but he's going to see the shadow of God overshadowing me. Right? I mean, there's something here. We got to cultivate that secret place. You will cultivate an authentic relationship with God in sincerity, and God will bring you the strategy to be a giant killer as you encounter them. The next takeaway giant, slaying giants requires kingdom perspective. It requires you seeing on a bigger picture than what you're seeing, like right now. Get a bigger picture. Saul simply had this earthly perspective when he considered the size and the noise of Goliath. He'd been and, and Saul. I mean, he realized. I, I mean, they they actually said this. Goliath's been trained for war since his youth. That was intimidating. And David, knowing God, knowing that God would show up, move forward in confidence, saying that all the earth may know that there's a God in heaven. And I love this too because I probably said this before, but I've been in the woods when I've encountered a bear and I've encountered a lion. I have. And I'm telling you what, it's pretty crazy. I think I'd rather face a nine-foot man. And I think that's where David's perspective was. I mean, if you've ever been out in the woods and you encountered a bear like with mama bear with a couple cubs... If you ain't got the fear of the Lord in you, you should. Because it's like, mm, man, I don't know here. I suddenly feel really small, especially if you're carrying around a bow and arrow like I usually do. I got a stick and a string, and there's a bear. And she's got two cubs, and she's looking for me. David's perspective was like, wow, yeah, he's nine feet tall. That's cool. I think I could hit that really easy. You got a kingdom perspective. Here's the next takeaway. Stay in community. Stay in community. Pastor Joel wrapped up our series about regroup, and he taught about the importance of consistent assembling together as the church. I'm never going to be apologetic about it because it's the design that God has to keep us in spiritual well-being. And he mentioned, Pastor Joel mentioned the story of Elijah. So after defeating the 400 prophets of Baal, experiencing one of the most supernatural acts of God, he ended up being depressed into the point of suicide. Lays down, I'm done, I'm done running because Jezebel the giant had said, I'm going to kill you. And so he goes to this place and he's, and he's sitting under this tree and we know that he had an encounter with the angel and, and basically instead of giving him some big prophetic word, just said, 
Rise up, eat, and sleep. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat. I, I need, I need Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is get some rest. Pastor Stephen's going to be preaching on that next week. I'm excited to hear it. But here's the thing. If you go back, when I look at that story and, and how low he was, I want to pick up a really interesting point I'd never really considered before. It says in 1 Kings 19.3, so we're 19.1-3, and it says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, Elijah's arm had to be weary. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so that the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. And he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And it said, and he left his servant there. I'm like, that is so profound. That is, think about this. He went it alone. I mean, he's, ah, the giant's yelling, you stay here, I gotta go. And then he finds himself in this place of saying, just, just, just do me in. Take me home, Lord, I'm done. Listen, we were created to walk alone. This was a servant that was with him when God said, fire from heaven. This was a servant that saw Elijah pray for rain. This was a servant that was a messenger to Ahab. I wonder if Elijah would have been so despondent and fearful if he would not have tried to go it alone. Huge key. We need people around us who can stir up our faith. Not tamp it down. I don't need the negative Nellies in my life. You know, I, I, I don't, I, I don't, I, I, listen, the study found, listen, that a habit of prolonged negative thinking diminishes, diminishes your brain's ability to think, to reason, and to form memories. This is neuroscience actually agreeing again with the Bible, essentially draining your brain's resources. Another study reported in the Journal of American Academy of Neurology found that critical, cynical thinking also produces a greater dementia risk. Oh, man. Mm. You hang around with people that build your faith. And guess what? Something changes in your brain chemistry. You hang around with people that are always on the the Debbie Downer side. If you're hearing your name, Debbie, I'm not talking about you, promise. But something changes in, your, in the chemistry of your mind. It's like you hang around with somebody that's like that Eeyore spirit, and like, boom, I just got to hit Eeyore. Yeah, you're right. Let's just end it. We can't do that. We're not created to do that. Now, I'm not saying put your head in the sand and live like an ostrich or something like that, but I'm saying, come on, think about who is surrounding you. Are they people of faith? Are they community of faith? Do they build you up? Do they, do they basically, they see the good things in you. They see the God stuff that's going on in you. And that's what they dwell on. Paul writes this, if anything be true, just good report. Think upon these things because he realized how important it was how you think. 
try that with your kids. Man, it's amazing what will just change in them. Man, I believe in you. You've got what it takes. Listen, I love what you're doing. Man, you did your homework on time. Boo, you're a rock star. And, and they begin to respond to that. Because we respond. Hebrews 10, 24 says, Let us consider how to stir up one another. Not neglecting to meet together as some who are in the habit of doing. You want to be a giant killer? You need to make sure that you're in community. In the right community, not the wrong community. How about our kids? Science shows us that adolescent brains have not developed. Think about that. I remember this pastor. Old guy, and he would say, when young people would want to get married. I remember Joel and Lindsay, they came up here first and I think they were engaged to get married. I think he talked to Joel and says, are you sure you know what you're doing? Because you're real, how old are you, son? Well, yeah, I'm 22. You realize your brain's not quite developed yet? You know, you're kind of a half-wit. That's what he would say. You're kind of a half-wit. You know what you're doing? Whew. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to, I don't want to go to youth group. I don't want to go to youth camp. You know what my response is? Sorry, your brain's not fully developed and that's the reason I'm your parent to help you make some great decisions. Here's some amazing news. Even in your fear and your doubt, even when you know better and you can't shake it off because it's, sometimes it's not that easy. God, just like this giant is tenacious. Just never lets go. Sometimes he lays down and sometimes he's... And then he's, then he's back up again. It's like that weed, you know. I mean, there's some weeds, you know, you spray them. And then, okay, cool, they're dead. And then you come out three weeks later and they're, they're creeping up again. It's like, dang. You know what I do? I get the propane burner out, baby. And then I just burn them. And Robbie says, yeah, you just, you, just, you just kill all the seeds, man. Like the Terminator. <laughs> but even in your fear and doubt, even when you know better and can't shake it out, Jesus will show up. Here's the cool. I'm going to close with this. John chapter 20 records that the disciples were gathered together in fear. And Jesus showed up. This is cool. They're gathered. There's, there's, there's 11 of them. They gathered in fear. And He shows up. And He said, Peace be with you. And He breathed His Spirit. Something changed profoundly. Oh, yeah. God's good. But there was one that wasn't there. And that was Thomas. And even though everybody else told him about the great report, he says, I can't shake this giant of doubt until I see him. Until I can put my hands in the, in the wounds in his hand and his side. I'm not going to believe. And you know the cool thing about Jesus is we find out that Jesus showed up again. Just for Him. Just for the One. You might feel trapped. The giants of fear and anxiety have you hemmed in and the door is locked. You may feel like you don't have the faith to overcome, but I'm telling you that Jesus can overcome whatever doubt, whatever insecurity on your behalf and He will do it for the many and He will do it for the one. That's my God. That's the goodness of God.
And finally, my final takeaway, you have a giant slayer on the inside of you if you are a believer in Jesus. It says this in Romans 8.11, but if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So I want to I I just remind us, sometimes we're going to have some people up here at the end of our service that will pray for you. And, and I just want to encourage you, man, if you're, you're struggling with fear, anxiety, uh, depression, thoughts of suicide, if you're, I mean, if you're just at that point and you said, man, I've tried to, I've tried to kick this giant down. I, I just have not been successful. There will be people up here that will pray with you and the community of faith and the believing coming together. I believe we're going to, we're, we're going to see some giants broke and seem defeated and destroyed. Amen. So let me pray with you. Jesus, right now, I'm asking that you, we already know that you're here, but I'm just going to kind of say it. Would you just come into the room in the hearts of people right now? And would you just breathe your spirit in a new and fresh way? I, I, I just, I'm, I'm hearing you in that scripture saying, peace. And you breathe your kingdom. You breathe your spirit came alive in them. And Lord, this morning, we always want to give a chance, opportunity for anyone here. If you've never given your life to this Jesus, and you realize, I, I sense the presence of God, I, maybe I don't understand everything, but whatever that guy's saying or whatever I felt in worship, listen, that is the Lord calling you and drawing you and saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And if that's you this morning and you're saying, I need that rest. I need that relationship with Jesus. I've not made, I've not done that before. I want you to just raise your hand. Just wave at me so I can agree with you right where you sit. Thank you, sir. Anybody else this morning, you're saying, today's the day I want to believe. If I didn't see you, please just, just, just make, make sure that I can see you. This, this is the day. Thank you, ma'am. Anybody else this morning? This is the day I want to give my life. Thank you, sir. I, I want to give my life to this Jesus. Father God, we just praise You and thank You. And we celebrate right now with the angels in heaven that are celebrating. Can we just put our hands together, church?